Loving Father, we do want to be restored. This morning, lead us by the still waters and speak to us. For we ask it in thy name. Amen. I have a very important message this morning. The reincarnation of Baal worship within Christianity. I must make two statements before I speak. In this presentation, I must acknowledge a great source of help from Freedom's Ring, volume two, number eight. And the second is a declaration. This sermon is not intended today or presented to point the finger or to find fault with the Seventh-day Adventist Church leadership. I want that to be very, very clear. No misunderstanding, please. But rather it is to give us, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to expose a new theology that is invading all denomination denominations found in the churches of the world today. And I would emphasize the word all. It is my prayer that what you are about to hear will enable you to immediately recognize these satanic teachings and cause you to stand up and be counted for the truth. If you'll take your Bibles now, let's turn to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. And I'm beginning to read with verse 17. 1 Kings 18, and I'm going to read verses 17 to 21. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and hath followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the grove four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Something very unusual was about to happen on Mount Carmel. Elijah was face to face with 850 prophets of Baal. It was a dramatic showdown with death at the risk of failure. Now notice carefully the comparison. Elijah represented the God of creation. And he was being challenged by 850 prophets of Baal who represented the cosmic forces of pagan deities. 
who taught and believed that their God resided in nature itself and whose cosmic Lord was Baal. In other words, whatever they saw, whether it was the sun or the moon or the stars, the rocks, the waters, the trees, the flowers, God was in that. But Elijah believed that God was the creator of nature. Now with this clear understanding, let us find out what this devil worship actually consisted of. In the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Dictionary, under the article Baal, I read, The Canaanites believed that Baal dwelt in holy trees, in the springs, in the mountain summits, in the rocks, and it goes on to tell all the things that Baal resided in. And it also continues, because this will come out in our sermon a little later, Baal's death at the hand of evil mote, that was another god, at the end of each rainy season was observed by bitter mornings and an annual resurrection, a reincarnation, at the end of the long dry summer months when the rainy season began, bringing new life to fields and vineyards and was celebrated with a joyous and licentious feast. Now we're ready to put this picture into focus. Three and a half years before this date, Mount Carmel was a place of beauty. Streams flowed from never-failing springs. Fertile mountain slopes were covered with flowers and flourishing groves. But what a difference. On this day, the whole mountain lay under a withering curse. The altars of Baal stand under leafless, skeleton trees, dead trees. And in sharp contrast, there is one lone, broken-down altar of Jehovah. And so we see the showdown. Apprehension fills the air, a fearful crisis at at hand. Tens of thousands watch to see if the prophets of Baal can overpower the God of Elijah. Wonder of wonder, 850 prophets of Baal, but Elijah is alone, apparently defenseless. The monarch of Israel stands there with his army, 850 priests of Baal, and the rebellion of an entire nation. But Elijah is not alone. He is surrounded by angels who excel in strength. Listen carefully as he cries out over that vast number. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And would you believe it? Not one in all Israel dares to, relieve, to reveal a Loyalty to Jehovah. Can I digress, digress here just a moment? Digress. In the coming crisis, in the months ahead, how many within this church this morning will refuse to take a stand for God? May I remind you that God abhors indifference and disloyalty 
in time of crises. But we must go back to Mount Carmel. Elijah now puts forth a very positive and simple test. Which God can prove his divinity by producing a fire for a sacrifice? The people agree. The battle begins in earnest. All day long the priests of Baal pray and dance and cut themselves with knives till the blood flows out. Can you listen to their shrieking cries and the bedlam of noise? as they try to divine some secret means of kindling a fire. Elijah watches. Elijah mocks. Gladly would Satan have sent lightning to set the sacrifice ablaze, but Jehovah had set the bounds. Not a spark is kindled. If it could have been, Elijah would have been torn to bits in a moment of time. Finally, Near the close of the day, the priests of Baal are some horrid sight. With their bodies covered with self-inflicted mutilations, with blood covering them, their worthless demon worship has been exposed. And now Elijah bids the people to come near. He looks at the broken altar of Jehovah. To him it is more precious than all the wonders of the magnificent heathen temples. He chooses 12 stones. He erects an altar. The sacrifice is placed thereon. 12 barrels of that scarce water is poured over the sacrifice, drenching it, filling the ditch around it. Watch with me as Elijah kneels and prays. No senseless shrieks. No wild, incoherent babbling in unknown tongues. Listen. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Remember, the sky above is cloudless. Suddenly, at the conclusion of this solemn prayer, the sky above is filled with a flame of fire like the brilliant flash of lightning. Watch as it descends, striking the sacrifice, licking up the water, the sacrifice, even the 12 stones and burning a hole in the ground with atomic power. The people now understand. They fall on their face and they cry, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So great was this victory for God that Elijah now with his own hand slays the 850 prophets of Baal. But inspiration reveals something to you and to me, that these heathen gods will again appear in the end of time and will once more manifest themselves in our day. Let me read it to you. Testimonies to Ministers, page 117. As we near the close of time, there will be greater and still greater external parade of heathen power. Heathen deities 
will manifest their power and will exhibit themselves. They will what? Exhibit themselves before the cities of the world. And this delineation has already begun to be fulfilled. And I bring you today striking evidence that it is here. That it is now taking place in the great celebration movements of Babylon in all of the churches. This involves more than the Roman Catholic Church, more than the charismatic movement of Protestantism, for they are now joined by what we know today as a new age movement. And this makes a threefold union, as you read in the spirit of prophecy, as paganistic spiritualism joins hands with Roman Catholicism and apostate Protestantism. God said in his holy word that this would actually happen. Let me read it. Revelation 16, verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, paganism, out of the mouth of the beast, Catholicism, out of the mouth of the false prophet, apostate Protestantism. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And if you have any question as to just when this will happen, the next verse. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now I believe you are ready for some of these amazing facts. The mystical religion of ancient Babylon, in which the pagans worshipped a cosmic Christ, hundreds of years before the incarnation of the true Christ, is once again experiencing a reincarnation in the force of the New Age movement and it is focusing all of its attention on preparations for the appearance of Satan who is going to walk this earth fooling the people thinking that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, just as in the day of Elijah, we will soon participate in a final showdown between the almighty creator redeemer Jesus Christ versus the great usurper, the devil, the cosmic personal devil. The entire world, pagan, Catholicism, apostate Protestantism, are being sucked into a reincarnation of Baal worship, getting ready to celebrate the coming of a cosmic Christ, the, shall we say, the counterfeit, always comes before the genuine. The liberal Catholics are leading the way in amalgamation of Christianity with Eastern religions. The New Age religion is striking at the very heart of God's plan of redemption. Perhaps it would be good for us to refresh our memories of this most sublime truth to be found in the Bible. You remember God gave his son to the human race 
forever. Not for just 33 and a half years, but forever. Let me read this to you. You remember in John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In Desire of Ages 24, we read, God gave Christ to the fallen race to assure us of his immutable counsel of peace, to become one of the human family forever, to retain his human nature. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God has adopted human nature in the person of his son and has carried the same into the highest heaven. For it is the Son of Man who shares the throne of the universe. In Christ the family of earth and the family of heaven are bound together. For Christ, glorified, is our brother. Hallelujah! Don't you hear an amen from you folks? To think that we have our own relative, our own blood, sitting on the throne with God. We are members of this family. Jesus Christ is our brother. Can I say it? Infinite intimacy. And what does this mean to you and to me? This makes it possible for you and me to be victorious over sin. You see, Christ took our sinful human nature and he engaged sin in that nature. By how? By joining his human nature with divinity. Thus he offers to each of us the same victory that he had when we clothe ourselves by faith in his righteousness and join our nature with his divinity. I read once more, page 123, Christ's humanity was united with divinity. He was fitted for the conflict by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he came to make us partakers of divine nature. God reaches for the hand of faith in us to direct it to lay fast hold upon the divinity of Christ that we may obtain the perfection of character. What a God. He's reaching down, God the Father, for your hand to place it in the hand of Jesus so that our human nature can be joined with his divinity that we might be victorious. You see, Christ is the great I am. You remember his words at Mount Horeb? I am that I am. Desire of Ages 24 says, I am is the assurance of every promise. I am, be not afraid. God with us is the surety of our deliverance, the assurance of our power to obey the law of heaven. Now this glorious Christ, our brother sitting on the throne, is a person. He has my nature. He is not a God in the nature of this world. He is not some spirit, some essence in the sun, in the moon. He's not in the trees. He's not what you can feel when you take a bath in water. He is the God of nature. 
But this eternal foundation is the fundamental of our worship. For we worship him as our creator. And the seventh day, Sabbath, is a memorial of that creation. And that's why we keep the Sabbath. But here comes this New Age religion, teaching of a cosmic Christ, which removes the creature-creator distinction, and which would ultimately wipe out Sabbath-keeping from the face of this planet. This New Age teaching is filled with Jesuit and Dominican leadership. The most influential figures of the New Age movement is a man, a Jesuit. His name is Pierre Talhart de Chardin. He is a colossal influence in the Catholic Church today. And there is another, a Dominican, a Dominican priest by the name of Fox, Matthew Fox. He is in the forefront, and he is promoting Christian spirituality and the coming of a cosmic Christ. Now, I suppose I ought to stop here, for surely one of you is asking, what do you mean by a cosmic Christ? Well, let me read it to you from the book, The Coming of the Cosmic Christ, written by this Dominican, Dominican Fox, published by Harper and Rowe, page 38. It means that the nature of Christ, quote, is neither human nor divine, but cosmic. In other words, he is pantheistic. He is in everything. You can feel him when you pick up a rock. You wash your hands, he's there. You look at the sun, there he is. He's everywhere. Besides this mythical body, he has a cosmic body. And this is spread, I'm quoting, throughout the universe. This Dominican scholar is the director of the Institute of Culture and Creation Spirituality at the Holy Name College in Oakland, California. And this man states that there is a deep ecumenical realignment taking place in ALL, in all churches, based on the mysticism. So I'm going to quote on page 239 what he tells when he says, all churches. Listen carefully. At a recent summer workshop on creation spirituality in North Carolina, there were not only Roman Catholics present, Quakers, Anglicans, Methodists, but Southern Baptists and... Shall I read it? and Seventh-day Adventists. As I promised, I make no comment. There is a great shift in theology coming. How can such a change take place? In this book by Fox, page 134, I read, there must be a change from a fall redemption religion to a creator-centered spirituality. What's he talking about? We must do away with the fact that Adam and Eve fell from the grace of God and sinned, and that Jesus Christ came and poured out his precious blood and died in his place. In his place, we must put a creation-centered 
that the Christ we are to worship is in the rocks. He's in the water. He's in the clouds. He's everywhere. This involves the worship of a cosmic Christ. And he continues, I'm quoting page 77-79. This means to move from a personal savior Christianity to a cosmic Christ Christianity. That's taking away my personal savior, isn't it? Let's look at what Alice Bailey has written in her book. She is the high priestess of the New Age movement. She claims that she has received all of her philosophy and information by telepathy. Where do we receive ours? Holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy Spirit. But she says, I receive it from a man in Tibet. Oh, that's where Hinduism has its center, isn't it? And he is known as the Master K.D.K. Later on, we'll find who that is. In her book, The Externalization of the Hierarchy, page 502 to 508 are some quotations, just sentences. How will this be brought about? It requires a re-verification of old forms. What's that? A reincarnation of something way back there. Old rituals, I'm quoting, must be revived. Again, religious students, and I'm quoting, must be given the occult interpretation. What is the occult? It means that there is no personal savior. I'm reading again. The forces of Christ are being marshaled for a supreme endeavor. Oh, there's something great coming. The construction of thought forms of the advent and the second coming have now been completed. What's that? It's all been thought out. The term he goes by. How will this be accomplished? By giving the principle that will appeal to the masses. And what is that? The love principle. And brothers and sisters, it's not what you think. We're going to come to this. The love principle, and I'm quoting, is the main theme of the New Age. Oh, yes. Don't talk about any other church. Don't talk about the law. Just talk about love. All we want to hear is the wonderful love of God. But it's not what you think they're talking about. And this will inaugurate the New Age. It's like a fifth column. On page 508, it says this new age is to permeate the churches with the idea of his coming. And so you find in all the churches there's a resurgence that Christ is coming. And how to use angels who guard the sanctuaries of all churches, cathedrals, temples, and mosques of the world. What's that? Whose angels are these? I read in the Bible that this group of churches and temples, these pagan temples, and all of these things are the mother of harlots. 
And whose angels then is they talking about? You know, I'm so appreciative of the spirit of prophecy for it. If we'd only read these things, it tells us what's coming. Listen, she says, an innumerable host of evil angels are spreading over the whole land, crowding the churches. What angels? Evil angels. Continuing from this new age, this high priestess I read, page 505, the master K.H., and that's Satan, you'll find out, works also with the prelates of the Catholic Church, the Greek and the Roman and the Anglican, and with the leaders of the Protestant communes, and with the foremost workers in the field of education. Oh, I wish I could take time to tell you what's happening in our education. I don't mean our church. I'm talking about public schools. This whole thing is being taught today in our school system. This master Jesus, you'll find he's talking about Satan, works especially with the masses of the Christian people to inhabit the Occidental countries and to gather in the churches. He is distinctively a great leader, an organizer, a wise general executive. And he has a special group of divas. Look that up, you'll find that's Hindu teachers that are working under his command. I'm quoting and his connection with all true church leaders and executives is very close, and he acts ceaselessly on the inner councils of the churches. Do you get the picture of what's happening today? I go on. He works to open up the world of departed souls. Oh, is there any question who this is now? Departed souls? Going to get them interested? My last trip to England was a heartbreak. I saw church after church in England, that great bulwark once of Protestantism. They are now pubs, drinking places. You want a good drink of beer, you go into what we used to be a church with their stained glass windows. Only 5% of all England today goes to church at all. Oh, I forgot to tell you, but the churches that they have are crammed to the doors. They are spiritualistic churches. And whatever comes to Europe comes to America. How intriguing to read of such terminologies in this book of the inner council chamber where the plans are developed by the great, and I'm quoting, the general manager, page 508. Go home this afternoon and read Testimonies to Ministers, page 472, where Sister White was given a vision of Satan and his angels planning the last great crisis. She uses the same terminology. In Great Controversy, page 624, I read, Satan declares that those who persist in keeping holy the Sabbath day are blaspheming his name, 
by refusing to listen to his angels. Oh, so the devil's angels are going to participate in this thing. And I read that the devil and his angels are the greatest students of the Bible. And you're going to stand up and try to argue with the devil someday? You better know what you know. Don't depend on the pastor to defend you. You better know. You better be studying and on your knees where some of these days you're going to have to meet the angels of the devil himself. Refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. The multitudes, from the least to the greatest, give heed to these sorceries, saying, this is the great power of God. I'm continuing from Bailey now, quoting, the angels, the evil angels, have been, ever been active in biblical history and will again enter into the lives of human beings with more power than has lately been the case. The call has gone out for them to again approach humanity and with their heightened vibrations and superior knowledge, unite their forces with those of the Christ and his disciples to help the race. When what they have to impart is apprehended by the race, physical ills and sickness will be offset. So we can expect great miracles. Again, may I compare this with inspiration, Great Controversy 589, while appearing to the children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, Satan will bring disease and disaster. He claims to be Christ, and he is coming in and pretending to be the great medical missionary. Isn't that alarming? When will this happen? In her book, I continue on reading, eventually there will appear a universal church. Oh yes, unity today. One church. And its definite outlines will appear toward the close of the 20th century. You remember my last sermon? In eight years? It's eight years to the close of the 20th century. And what will make this possible? What agencies will be used? These are all in these writings. Going to use the Masonics, all of the churches, the public schools. You know, I was amazed the other day in my own town here. Earth Day. The public schools were painting all over the windows of our own post office pictures of Earth Day. Oh, this great environmental thing has swept into our schools and talking about God is in everything. It's preparing the people through the children. They're going to use the evolution teachings, he says. The ecumenical movement is a part of this. The Pentecostal healings. And if you think they're just in the Pentecostal church, I have news for you. When I moved from here, up here from down south, 
One of my neighbors is a Roman Catholic. Used to walk with him. One day he was late. And I said, where have you been? You, you should have been out here getting your ex. Oh, he said, that Catholic priest I've got at home. He had a great healing program after the Mass for two hours. And then they're going to use a new teaching of love. I'm coming to it. You must become aware of the new terminologies being used in all of the churches. The words celebration, liturgy, the Eucharist, meditations, hypnotism, cell groups, the caring church, shepherding, lab one and two, and the new term of love. Now, how do you suppose they intend to celebrate the coming cosmic king? In this book by Fox, page 89, definite work must also be done in healing, in curing mental and astral diseases, and it must be demonstrated to the world that the ancient power to heal still lies in the hands of those who consistently follow the Christ. Do you remember how those men of old, some of the kings went to the God of Ekron to be healed? That's what she's talking about. So we are seeing a rebirth of the cosmic king or devil worship coming into Christianity today. Do you remember what Satan told Eve? said, if you'll just eat this apple, you will be as gods. Let me read this to you. Bailey states, we are the cosmic Christ. Again, I read by Fox, God and I are one. Again, I read on page 159, we are to celebrate the I am. Who? We. And we are to embrace our own divinity, page 138. Do you see what's coming? The New Age religion demands total unity by all. Malachi Martin, in another book called The Jesuits, he wrote, once complete unity has been achieved, the Christ who will be the omega point will appear. What about those who resist this kind of a program? They will be considered as blocking the liberation of the planet, holding up the appearance of a cosmic Christ. Now the New Age declares four things must happen. Here they are. Number one, light. Number two, love. Number three, power. And number four, death. Let's look at these. Light is education. We're not going to go into that because you know what that means. I read here quoting light to see the new vision. It's education. Number two, love. 
and it's not what you think it is. Let me read it to you from her book on page 277. Love is the fixed determination to do what is best for the whole of humanity. Do you comprehend that? You know, we think of love and Christianity as they need a coat, give them a coat. They're hungry, feed them. Help them in any way you can. Love them. Love. That's not what she's talking about. She says it is the fixed determination to do what is best for the whole of humanity at any personal cost by means of the uttermost, uttermost sacrifice. To help you to understand more, let me read from Great Controversy. As the Sabbath becomes the special point of controversy throughout Christendom, the persistent refusal of a small majority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal excretion. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to the institution of the church and the law of the state ought not to be tolerated. That it is better for them to suffer for the whole nation than to be thrown into confusion and lawlessness. Do you remember what they said of Christ? Remember Caiaphas? He said, it is better for one man to die for the people than the whole nation to perish. Here's a new twist to love. You don't love them and help them. If they're sick, you go and help them. If they're hungry, you go and feed them. That's not what they're talking about. Whatever is for the good of the nation, a new kind of love. And so she continues, a decree will finally be issued against those who hallow the Sabbath to put them to death. I used to wonder, what in the world could take these good Baptists, these good Methodists, these good Presbyterians, these people who have been teaching this wonderful truth of love, that the time will come when they will take their own mother and their own father and their own children and turn them over to be killed this new principle of love. For the good of the cause, the world is so evil, it's so bad today, we've got to do something. Get rid of those Adventists. And that's love. This new concept of love means to eliminate dissenters. Brothers and sisters, when you go out talking to your neighbors in these other churches today, just remember that the terminologies they use are not what you think they are. But thank God, in every church, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Episcopalians, the Catholics, and all of these, God has a faithful few who will discern. And praise God, someday they will come and join with us. This new world order means new ideas, new terminologies, new civilization, a new mode of life, a new form of education, a new religion, a new world government. And if you dare to resist, here's where number 
three and four, power and death, are instituted. I'm quoting from the book on page 42, power and death, these must be brought under the power of death. Who? Those who dissent. And it will all be done in the name of love. Amazing. Incomprehensible almost to think that they will use the word of love to go out and to kill those who will not accept a false religion. Here are some of the exact details of how this plan of worship is to be carried out. Number one, page 42. In order to worship the cosmic Christ of old Babylon, now listen, we must get used to worshiping in circles. You know, I attended once in Madeira where I was in a hotbed of speaking in tongues, I went to one of these meetings to see what it was all about. It was terrible. I was sitting in the back at a prayer meeting, and I noticed that people were getting up, and I thought they were going out of the church, and I noticed that suddenly I was in a circle. And I felt a strange power as these people were beginning to look at me to try to hypnotize me. I said, boy, I'm getting out of here. So I moved over to the other side of the church. And within five minutes, I found myself encircled. And don't think that this isn't affecting our church. I know of a church in, Southern Cali in Central California who in their youth groups have taken out all the pews and they were beautiful pews just like these so that the young people could all get in circles. And that wasn't a celebration church either. Number two, bring back the body. What do they mean by bring back the body? Let me read it to you. The body has been effectively banished from most white worships in the West. There is one role Stationary benches play in the churches. They assure that no dance, no celebration of body spirit might break loose. Books play a similar role in worship. If the people have to hold a book, then their hands are also occupied and they aren't free to move the body. Oh, I thought the reason you sing from the screen is that your chin is up and you can, can sing better. Don't you ever believe it. This great false movement has a plan so that you can raise your hands and shout. Books play a similar role in worship. They don't want you to hold the Bible even anymore so that their hands are also occupied and they aren't free to move. Listen, this is coming out of this new age. The cosmic Christ wants us to dance. And then it says to think in terms of processions. Processions around the church, out of the church, under the church, through the church, 
through the streets and towns into the countryside to the cemeteries and back again. That's what they used to do in Baal worship. May I take you to another church? I know, and it's not a celebration church, one of the largest in Southern California where they inaugurated, and I suppose they will do it again this Easter, the seven stations of Christ out in the street inviting the public to go from one station to another in a procession. Don't tell me the New Age religion isn't affecting all churches. Together with the beating of drums, I'm quoting, providing a common heartbeat. These will lead to a further change in worship. Oh, there's a master plan. This Dominican fox in the coming of the cosmic Christ calls for the lamentations of Mother Earth. What's that? The lamentations? That means weeping and crying. Do you remember when we read from the book, uh, from our writings at the beginning here, the article on Baal worship, how that once a year Baal died and the people wept for his reincarnation in the fall when the rains would come? And here now, this great movement is calling for the lamentations of Mother Earth. Remember, Baal worship is pantheistic. Fox continues, and I'm quoting, the cosmic Christ is not obsessed with sexual identity. The cosmic Christ can either be female or male, heterosexual or homosexual. Boy. Coming into Christianity. Pardon me for a moment. This explains today many of the things. It says here, bring back play. You remember the children of Israel, what they did? When Moses didn't come down, it says they built an altar and they arose to play. And so we have today great emphasis put on plays and skits and drama. And then this really intrigued me. We must talk about pain. What? Not Jesus Christ, not power and victory. We've got to talk about pain. One reason for placing worship within the cosmological context is to let the pain out. I know what I'm talking about, for I visited in a church in Southern California where there was a group gathered, they were always talking, I'm hurting, I gotta let the pain out. I thought, what in the world? And I went there and they have these videos by a Catholic priest talking about how to let the pain out. And they gather around afterwards and they talk about how they were molested, how there was incest in their families. And they sit around for hours and talk about all this filth. Instead of going to the Lord and say, oh God, forgive what 
happened to me and take it out of my heart and make a new man. I went to visit one of these homes. And as I walked in, my wife and I were surprised. We didn't think they had any children. And there were baby pictures everywhere in the front room. And we got to talking. I said, I didn't know you had any children. Oh, they said, we don't have any. Why? I said, what's all these baby pictures? Oh, they are our baby pictures. They're helping us to remind us of all the things that happened to us when we were children in Molesky. Talking about it, living it over and over and over. And so this is part of the program to let the pain out. And then lastly, to awaken the nature within. To celebrate the organs of the body. I don't mind talking about the head. I don't mind talking about the heart. But then it says the sex organs. Each Sunday could be dedicated to celebrating a different organ of the body. Why not? Because we're gods. I'm going to do something here I've never done before, and I wouldn't dare to have done it 35 years ago, because we don't do things like that back there. But today, you hear it on radio, you see it on television, you read it in the papers, and it's everywhere, the terminologies. Let me be frank with you. My last trip to India, I decided to go on my own and see a heathen pagan temple of the Hindus. I'll never forget that great, beautiful thing. All over the outside was carved animals. You see, every animal is a god in India. And in every animal, whether it was a horse or a cow or a dog, the sex organs are always three to four or five times bigger than natural, so that the first thing you see when you come up and see this animal, you see his sex organs, because they worship them. And I went into that temple, and I saw ladies going into a certain door. I said, what are they going in there for? I hesitated a long time. Well, I said, all they can do is throw me out. And so I slipped in when somebody else went in there. I'll never forget it. Never will I forget it. There was a room as big as this church auditorium. And in the center of that big room was a altar about six feet square. And on that altar was the replica of a man's penis. And what were these people all doing? Kissing it, putting their arms around it, putting garlands of flowers on it. Is not this generation getting ready for this, this great business of rotten sex that we see everywhere? We have as many divorces and marriages as any other denomination in the world. A tragedy. I want to tell you, my dear friends, we today are living in a sex-crazed society. No longer do our people think that it's necessary to get married before they have sex. They have thrown up all these great things that God has given. I want to read one paragraph in closing. 
Maranatha, letter six from Ellen White, page 209. I saw our people in great distress, weeping and praying, pleading the sure promises of God, while the wicked were all around us, mocking us and threatening to destroy us. They ridiculed our feebleness. They mocked at the smallness of our numbers and taunted us with taking an independent position from all the rest of the world. They had cut off our resources so that we could not buy nor sell and referred to our abject poverty and stricken conditions. They could not see how we could live without the world. We were dependent upon the world and we must concede to its customs its practices and the laws of the world or get out of it. If we were the only people in the world whom the Lord favored, the appearances were awfully against us. Now notice, they, the world, declared that they had the truth, that miracles were among them, that angels from heaven had talked with them, and walked with them, that great power and signs and wonders were performed among them, and that this was the temporal millennium which they had expected so long. The whole world was converted and in harmony with the Sunday law, and this little feeble people stood in the defiance of the laws of the land, the laws of God, and claimed to be the only ones right. Let me tell you, you're going to have to be an Elijah someday. You're going to have to look in the very face of demons, in the very ministers who have forsaken the truth of God and become ministers of Baal. We must have a personal experience, a union with Christ that's far more than many of us have today. We too must stand against the host of Baal, the reincarnation of Baal worship is coming fast a reality. We must know what it is and how to say with Elijah, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. <laughs>